welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast, your weekly guide to solid Christian thinking on culture, science, faith, and Christian confidence, hosted by Tom Gilson. Tom is a senior editor with The Stream, stream stream.org. He runs the top-ranked Thinking Christian blog, and he's the author of several books, including the soon-to-be-released Too Good to be False, How Jesus' Incomparable Character Reveals His Reality. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson. The most surprising thing I've learned about Jesus lately is how he can still surprise you. The greatest thing I've learned about him lately is that he's greater than I could ever have imagined. I've been following Jesus for 45 years. I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. I've studied the Bible at home, at church, conferences, and in seminary courses. So you'd think somewhere along the way I'd have learned already what there was to learn about the life of Christ. (laughs) Actually, there was a point very early in my Christian life when I thought I had. It was one of my more foolish moments. I remember it all too well. I was looking at my Bible on my nightstand next to my bed, and the thought occurred to me, yeah, I've read through it more than once. I know it's in there. Why read it anymore? What do I need to? Ah, youth. (laughs) I'm not as smart now as I was then. I may not have needed to learn much more then, but I certainly do now. And I think we've all had the experience of reading the Bible and coming across a passage that we, quote, never noticed before. In fact, we probably had seen it. It's probably a familiar passage. But God was giving us a whole new perspective on it. So something jumped out at us, as we say, that we'd never caught before. What's harder, though, for those who've read the life of Christ in the Gospels is to come across any surprises in his life. We know the story, right? He's born of a virgin. There's not much information about his childhood or early years. But then he burst on the scene teaching and doing miracles. Obviously, there's something completely different about him, especially when he rises from the dead. But this is familiar, isn't it? We learn from pastors and teachers that he wasn't just different. He wasn't just special. He was God in the flesh. He died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God, and he rose again. So yeah, we learn, we discover early on that Jesus is great, far beyond all great men or women of history. He's unique among religious leaders. Their bodies are all still in their graves. None of them preached a religion of grace like he did. The others said, pay attention to their teaching. Jesus said that too, but he also said to pay attention to himself. It wasn't his teaching that would save us. He himself would do so. And still, this is all fairly familiar territory to believers, or it should be anyway. It's core Christian teaching. It all points to Jesus' unique greatness. We can wonder at his greatness, and and we do, I'm sure. But is there anything left in his story to surprise us? Well, let me try some out on you. It's Jesus' use of authority. That's where I'll start. No one has ever showed up anywhere claiming authority like Jesus did when he showed up on the scene. He had power over sickness and over demons, but honestly, that's almost small stuff compared to this, which is he claimed to have all authority concerning truth itself. In order to see this, 
When you get done listening to the podcast, I'd like you to read through his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and I want you to look at it with this question in mind. Who does he cite as his source for his material? Who does he look to for backup? How does he convince his listeners that he's got a good argument? You know, he ought to do that. Goodness, he's rewriting major portions of Jewish religious tradition. He's reinterpreting the Old Testament for us. In the long run, if you look at the effect this sermon has had down through the ages, he's changing history to come, hugely. And who's his source? You'll find that answer most clearly in the section where he's talking about, you have heard it said, you've heard it said this, you've heard it said that. And he cites some common religious interpretation of the day. And then he goes on, but I say to you, and that's it. He doesn't cite anybody. It's him. Uh, if there were footnotes to this, he would, he would footnote it. Source, Jesus of Nazareth, myself, I say to you. you got to understand, this is not typical of the day. You read the Jewish Talmud, for example, which was just beginning to be assembled around the time of Christ, and you'll find citations galore. Jewish scholars wouldn't dare come to a conclusion without considering every source. Jesus said, but I say to you. What he's saying here, in effect, is he doesn't need any other authority. He has it all within himself. But let's look especially at Matthew 5, verse 17. Except, let's imagine a different scene and a different person. Let's imagine someone else saying what he said there. Picture a guest preacher at your church, a young guy, early 30s, and he gets up and he says some words of greeting and encouragement, and then he looks at you all and around the church, around the congregation, just as serious as he can, and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the Bible. What are you going to say to the guy? At my church, I don't think we'd even let him finish his message. Who does he think he is? Does he think it might have crossed our minds that, that he could that he was there to abolish the Bible? That, that he might actually have come to do that? And it's not just that it's a bad idea. It's the very thought that he'd have to reassure us. Don't worry, folks. I'm not planning to do that. As if that could even conceivably be in, in a preacher's plan. It can't. And yet Jesus says it. And we're not surprised enough at it. When Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, there's a subtext there. It's He's saying he has the authority. He could do it. Except that would be denying his own revelation and, in fact, denying himself. For as he goes on to say, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so now let's go back to our picture of the guest preacher. He's on the platform and he assures you, Do not think that I have come to abolish the Bible. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. If you don't run him off the stage right then, your church has a leadership problem. They didn't do that with Jesus, though. They kept on listening. At the end of the sermon, at the end of Matthew 7, it says the crowds were astonished, for he spoke with authority. The crowds aren't astonished at his stentorian voice, or his great diction, or his command of the audience. No, they were astonished at his authority. 
which is the kind of thing I'm talking about here. He spoke as if he had the right to say and to speak these kinds of things, and no one else ever did. So, yeah, they were astonished, but they didn't run him off the stage. They kept on listening, and many kept on following. And when we're done here, I'm going to suggest that you, well, I already have, that you reread the Sermon on the Mount and just marvel at the way Jesus took authority. Yet there's one more great surprise flowing out of Jesus' use of authority that I'll come back and talk with you about in a moment. Engaging, exhilarating, possibly the most surprising and refreshing book you'll read this year. That's how best-selling author Lee Strobel describes Tom Gilson's newest book, Too Good to be False, How Jesus' Incomparable Character Reveals His Reality. You can download a free sample chapter right now by visiting the Thinking Christian blog at thinkingchristian.net and subscribing to the newsletter there. That's a free preview chapter for you just by subscribing at thinkingchristian.net. Jesus showed up on the scene. He took authority. His miracles aren't the most of it. Some of the Old Testament prophets did miracles too, especially Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. When they spoke, though, they said, Thus says the Lord. Jesus did miracles, and when he spoke, he said, But I say to you. You hear the difference? Clearly, he intended his listeners to pay just as much attention to his teaching as to the prophets, or as much attention, perhaps, as they should have paid to the prophets. Boy, with that kind of claim for authority, the whole Israelite community should have chased him out of town for it. Some of them did take total offense, of course. They got into one authority squabble with him after another, and finally they had him killed. But you can't read the story, even of his trial and execution, without noticing this one incredible fact. He was still in charge even there. Jesus was always in charge, completely. He was in charge of sickness. He was in charge of evil spirits. He was in charge of himself and in charge of his disciples. Perfectly, totally in charge. And people followed him willingly. This should be more surprising than it actually is. And here's why. Have you ever studied any of the, those books on Jesus' leadership techniques? I've read a few. They, they get a lot right, but they miss the surprising part. They get it right when they talk about his servant leadership, his, his setting the example, being willing to suffer, praying a lot, spending a lot of intensive relational time with his people, and so on. Jesus was a model leader in, in all those ways. He was the best ever. But, but look, Jesus was not a model leader in other ways. I, he, he wasn't. I'm not being sacrilegious. I mean that in a very specific sense. A model is someone you should emulate, and Jesus did some things that no leader should copy. No one should model himself or herself after some of what Jesus did as a leader. Indeed, if you're a pastor or if you're a boss and you try some of the things Jesus did, you're finished. You're, you're done before you even start. No one's going to follow you. You're going to be the proverbial failed leader who couldn't lead a rope by pulling on it. Here's some of what I'm talking about. There's some things that Jesus did and you should not because, first of all, it would be wrong, and second, it wouldn't work. First, 
Jesus never asked his followers opinions or views on anything, except to make sure that they weren't getting it wrong. You try that as a leader, you show that little amount of interest in your people's thinking, and it won't be long at all before you're known as a conceited, self-focused, self-interested tyrant, ineffective, not paying attention, not learning, not caring, and not belonging in your job. Jesus did it. You better not. Number two, Jesus never admitted a mistake. He never owned up to any errors. That only works if you don't make mistakes. Good luck with that. Number three, Jesus took absolute command. Even, and this goes really, really far, he took absolute command even of his friendships. Even of his friends, in fact. Look at the book of John, chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, you are my friends. If you do what I command, you're my friends. If you'll obey, what kind of friendship is that? Who, who, who could say that today and have anyone follow him as a leader with that kind of attitude? You're not going to get away with that. Jesus did. Yeah, he was a model leader in many ways. In other ways, so. Look, I've got a grad degree in organizational psychology, so I've done some study in leadership dynamics. It doesn't take anywhere near that much training, though, to see that Jesus had a, quote, leadership style that for any other person would be guaranteed to prevent him from having any followers at all. Oh, there might be this kind of exception. Maybe someone's following because they think he's in a position of incredible power, or maybe about to come into a position of incredible power, and they want to grab a share of it. Except Jesus did everything he could to teach his followers that it wasn't going to be that way with him. He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's in Mark chapter 10. He absolutely avoided political power, both in the life of the nation and in the politics of the Jewish religion. And and worse yet, he got himself killed. A man with a leadership style like Jesus should have repelled his followers, not attracted them. This is the surprise. This is the surprise. His leadership style was all wrong in the textbook sense at multiple points. But how's he doing? Forget the textbook. We're not going to judge him a failed leader, not when his leadership launches a movement that's been changing the world ever since, not when he's had billions of followers across thousands of years. That's not what you'd call a leadership failure. So, So what made the difference? Why did it work? In Too Good to Be False, I suggest three parts to the answer. Jesus loved like no one has loved before. That's attractive. He was trustworthy. His disciples knew that if they followed him, well, as Peter said in John 6, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And unlike anyone else ever, when he took authority, it's because he had the authority. He did have the authority to lead the way he led. So let's go back where we started, uh, surprises in the life of Jesus Christ. He's got a lot of them. 
I suppose we could say, well, surprises? That's not so surprising. What did you expect? He's God. Why should we be surprised? And so you come out being not surprised by his surprises. I hope that makes sense. In other words, we kind of take Jesus for granted, even his uniqueness. But if that's your answer, I'd say you're missing out. You're letting your theory of Jesus rob you of a lot of the joy of discovering the person, Jesus. Don't let theory fog out the person. Theory is crucial. Theology is crucial. Christian theology tells us Jesus was God in the flesh. Tell you, if I was brought into court someday and and they ordered me to renounce my belief in Jesus' deity, I'd refuse. I'd rather die than do that. The truth matters that much. But I wouldn't be dying for my theology in that case. I wouldn't be dying for a system. If that choice were to come my way, if I, if I had to make that choice, I would be choosing to die for Jesus himself. And it's partly because over and over again, I've been surprised. Well, no, over and over again, I've been astonished at his greatness, his authority, his leadership, his faithfulness, his love, his sacrifice for me. For his friendship, I will do what he commands. For the Thinking Christian Podcast, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. The Thinking Christian Podcast is copyright by Thomas Gilson. For more information, visit the Thinking Christian blog at thinkingchristian.net.